Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you've been following along with the daily Bible readings from our uh, VDMA inserts or uh, following along with our online lectionary group, you've been reading through the recounting of the people of Israel's time in the wilderness over the last few days. In Deuteronomy chapters 1 through 3, Moses walks the Israelites through the history of how time and time and time again God provided for their needs and how time and time and time again they kept messing things up and how they were unfaithful and how in spite of that, God remained faithful and provided for them and sustained them. Now, one of the things that always stands out for me about the Israelites' time in the wilderness is how did they have food? Especially when I was a little kid, that was on my mind because, I mean, you're sitting there in Sunday school and all you can think about is food. And, well, pretty much all day long, all you can think about is food. And you're, you're thinking about these, these guys out in the, the wilderness and where are they going to get any food? Well, maybe they can live off the land for a day or two, but then they're exhausting all of the resources. There's no more food to be had. They didn't have any way of planting crops because they didn't have any land yet. But God provided for them. You remember how God provided for them? What what was the food that God gave them? What was that called? Manna. Or at least that's what the Israelites called it, manna. Manna means, what is it? <laughs> because they, they walked out of their tents and they saw this frost-like, flake-like substance on the ground and they said, what is it? And God had told them what it was going to be. He said before, I will rain down bread from heaven. And Moses tells them, this is the bread that is from God. So they don't call it bread from heaven. They don't call it bread from the Lord. They call it Manna, what is it? They, they still stick with that, even though really what it was was a blessing from God. They, they still stick with some other name, which kind of diminishes this gift from God. And unfortunately, that is kind of what mankind tends to do with God's good gifts. We receive them begrudgingly. We uh, want to kind of change them to accommodate what we think they really should be. And uh, sometimes we even just cast them away. We get rid of them. In today's gospel reading, we see people seeking to do just that. Now, in the beginning, we heard in our Old Testament reading, God established marriage. He established it as a blessing and a gift. Actually, the, the marriage rite in our hymnal kind of walks through what marriage is and what marriage really is about and, and what God made marriage to be. And uh, I just want to read what from that marriage right. You can actually find this in the hymnal on page 275, but it really describes where did marriage come from and what is marriage. So if you want to follow along, it's on page 275. It's uh, uh, the first big chunk there. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here in the sight of God and before his church to witness the union of this man and this woman in holy matrimony. 
This is an honorable estate instituted and blessed by God in paradise before humanity's fall into sin. In marriage, we see a picture of the communion between Christ and his bride, the church. Our Lord blessed and honored marriage with his presence and first miracle at Cana in Galilee. This estate also is commended to us by the Apostle Paul as good and honorable. Therefore, marriage is not to be entered into inadvisedly or lightly, but reverently, deliberately, in accordance with the purposes for which it was instituted by God. The union of husband and wife in heart, body, and mind is intended by God for the mutual companionship, help, and support that each ought to receive from the other both in prosperity and adversity. Marriage was also ordained so that man and woman may find delight in one another. Therefore, all persons shall marry, who marry shall take a spouse in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust. For God has not called us to impurity, but holiness. God also established marriage for the procreation of children who are to be brought up in the fear and instruction of the Lord, so that they may offer him their praise. So God establishes marriage so that children can be born and raised with a mom and a dad who teach them what it is to be a, uh, a follower of the Lord Jesus and to live as one of his people in this world. He establishes marriage so that uh, a man and a woman can find pleasure in one another, truly love one another, and uh, and after the fall into sin, so that they can actually, well, learn what love looks like. Because God kind of roughs or evens out the rough edges as we learn how to love by actually doing it. But the Pharisees, they come up to Jesus and they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? They don't ask about the blessings of marriage or how to have a better marriage, but about how to get out. Of marriage, Like their ancestors who called the bread from heaven manna, the Pharisees look at marriage and they say, well, this is this, is this thing from God, but we don't kind of really like how it is. We'd like to remake it. We'd like to have it be according to our desires. This week, there was a piece in the New York Times uh, with the title, Divorce Can Be an Act of Radical self Love. In the piece, the author tells of why she ended her marriage. Now, did she end her marriage because her spouse was unfaithful? No. Was her spouse abusive? No. Here's what she wrote. There was, a, there was no emotional or physical abuse in our home. There was no absence of love. I was in love with my husband when we got divorced. Part of me is in love with him still. I suspect that that will always be the case. Even now, after everything, when he walks into the room, my stomach drops the way it does before the roller coaster comes down. I divorced my husband, not because I didn't love him. I divorced him because I loved myself more. I loved myself more. Remember what the fulfillment of the law of God is? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
But this was the idea behind the question from the Pharisees, too. I love myself more. Marriage simply doesn't work that way. It can't work that way. When we saw this, uh, we saw this laid out not too long ago when we were in Ephesians chapter 5, which is really summed up by that last verse. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So marriage requires sacrifice, as is the case with all actual love. It's sacrificial. It requires that the other person be viewed as more important than self. And when a husband and wife truly do put the other first, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Over 100 years ago, O. Henry was kind of thinking along those lines when he wrote a short story. Uh, you're probably familiar with this one, The, the Gift of the Magi. And this is a, just a wonderful little Christmas story in which the wife and the husband don't have much money. And they want to give a gift to the other for Christmas because they want to show their love for the other. And so the, the wife goes and she has her hair cut and she sells her hair. I guess that was a thing you could do back in the day. Uh, it's never been an option for me. But they, they went and she sold her hair. Right? She uses the money she gets and she buys this nice chain to go with her husband's watch. And she's very excited to give her gift to her husband, but she's also very anxious because, well, what did I have to give up and it will, will he appreciate this? And he comes home and she gives him his gift and she explains what she's done. And he gets out his gift and it is pieces for her hair, which she no longer has. And he has sold his watch in exchange to be able to buy these. So each ends up with a gift that they can't use at that point, and yet the love was genuinely shown. The sacrificial love came through. Now, the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they, they are seeking to rework marriage according to their own design and desires. They are coming to the one who established marriage in the first place, and they are approaching the one who shows us what true love actually does look like. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus is the bridegroom, the church is the bride, and he loves his bride with a relentless, sacrificial love. In those years wandering in the wilderness, he continued to provide for them, he continued to sustain them, he continued to care for them. Even though they were ungrateful and unfaithful, the Lord remained faithful to them. He remained committed. Even as we in our own time grumble about things and we're ungrateful to the Lord and sometimes even unfaithful to the Lord, his love remains. He loves us with a perfect love, a a sacrificial love. We see that love on the cross, don't we? 
That's where you see it most vividly. Why does Jesus go the way of the cross? For you. He is sacrificing. He becomes man. Lives as man. Dies as man. For you. See, Jesus isn't looking for an escape clause. He's not looking for a way out of his commitment to us. But the love he has for us was demonstrated on the cross and it continues even today. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. To love and to cherish. And not even death can part us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the bridegroom and he is the one who has conquered death and his love for us is eternal. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.